Hey everyone, welcome back to Elder Law Issues. I'm Robert Fleming, one of the partners in the Tucson, Arizona Elder Law Firm of Fleming & Curdy PLC. I'm sitting here with one of the other partners, Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman. We're going to talk about an elder law issue. Elizabeth, I thought today we would talk about family meetings. Uh, that's a pretty broad topic. And uh, I know I dearly love it when I have meetings with my family, <laughs> and I assume you do as well. But the particular context I want to talk about is in estate planning, in dealing with the affairs of a senior who probably has some children. Maybe it's a married couple. Maybe they have children who are not all children of both of them. Uh, is there a utility to having everybody sit down and talk together about the estate plan? I think that there can be a different utility, Robert, for our clients to do that themselves with their families than there is for actually us to engage with that with a client and, and his or her family. So I'm going to tell you it depends. And <laughs> The classic lawyer answer. The classic lawyer answer. I'm going to tell you that I get questions all the time and requests from clients who are not elderly at all, who may be in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and they ask me, hey, can you meet with me and my parents to talk about my estate plan? Or, hey, can you meet with me and my sister, who's going to be the person that's going to follow through with the instructions of the estate plan if I die before my child's an adult? I get these questions, Robert, all the time from folks who may not be the kind of typical 70s, 80s, 90s clients um, who are near to the end of their life. And I think most, most of the time when I get the question, what I realize that my estate planning client is asking for is help reassuring people, whether it's parents, whether it's kids, whether it's other loved ones, that there are actually plans that will be in place that can be used in an emergency or on death. It's about the exercise of reassurance more than it is the exercise to ask permission or to do brainstorming or to get feedback. Oftentimes, I think, Robert, it's really about reassurance. And we've talked before on the podcast about how strongly we feel about private meetings with our clients, meetings where we're able to speak directly with our client, where there is attorney-client confidentiality, where there's that protection in the conversation. We lose that protection with our client or married couple if we're representing both of them. If all of a sudden we have a son or daughter, we have a parent or a neighbor in the room. And you and I both know that we feel particularly sensitive when what happens is somebody who may be a beneficiary, a future beneficiary, is part of a discussion. That makes it even more difficult for us to navigate that relationship we have with our clients and, and keep what really should be private, private. I think that the idea of family meetings, Elizabeth, in the estate planning context anyway, kind of grew out of two types of, of clients. Those are the very wealthy who need family meetings in order to discuss whether they're going to collectively make large charitable donations or how they're going to invest or manage the money. And the other kind of case is where there are family businesses. We need to have we may need to have a family meeting to discuss which of the children is going to take over the business, who's going to be the, the uh, CEO and who's going to be uh, an employee in the business and how the business is going to be structured to, to pass it along uh, as the transition occurs. That's kind of the classic 
family meeting setting, but you and I both know those are not that common of stories. And so what we're really more talking about today is um, what about sitting down with you and your spouse and your three kids just to notice, notify everybody who's in charge of making healthcare decisions, who's in charge of making financial decisions. And I think what you're saying is those can be kind of difficult meetings for us to, 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 maintain, to manage and maintain, uh, to maintain confidentiality and, um, and maintain our independence at the same time. And Robert, to that point, one of the things that, that I think we can offer is we can offer some conversations with our clients about the decision to share highly confidential information. So when people ask, hey, Elizabeth, can we have a family meeting with my kids? My first question is, tell me why that's important for you and what you'd like to get out of it. And usually what people want to do is they want to be able to reassure children that there are plans in place. What I explain is, is that my client's going to be able to change his or her plans as long as she or he has capacity. So who the person may want to nominate today as an agent to manage their finances down the road may not actually be what happens eventually. The person may decide to nominate a different agent, particularly when we talk about distributions from estates and trusts. People can make decisions about changing the percentages or the fixed amount or how they want their estate to be distributed. So we also realize that these discussions can evolve around something that's very confidential in the sense that down the road, somebody may want to change the dispositive provisions that direct who's going to get what or how much will go to who. And so there are a variety of reasons where I I try and kind of flag for the client that down the road, there might be changes. And if you go ahead and give a whole overview of everything now, it may make it harder down the road to make changes or, or feel the autonomy and the flexibility to make changes and instead feel a sense of obligation to, to keep things the way that they were when you explain to everybody what each person was going to get. Well, and that's not really an argument against having a family meeting. That's just an argument about being careful what you share with your family in a, in a more general sense. I think, Elizabeth, you've suggested that that uh, we can maybe accomplish the same thing that a family meeting might by writing a summary of the estate plan and giving it to our clients and saying, feel free to share this if you want to. Um, But the more detail that's in that, as you say, the more it sort of locks you into emotionally staying with the same. Though, of course, you can make changes, but uh, um, as you point out, it makes it harder to make changes. It's a, it's a difficult um, scenario. I, I will also say that occasionally I have met family members and left the meeting and talked to my clients later and said, are you sure the son that you named as your successor trustee is really the right person? Because it didn't seem to me like he was very engaged while your daughter really understood the right questions. Uh, and I probably would never say it quite that pointedly to people, but it gives me a chance to to chat with the clients about their best decisions. And I think, Robert, the the opportunity to connect with clients and their families is important to both of us. It's just incredibly important that our clients understand the duty that we have um, as an attorney and, and what confidentiality around those conversations to us means. I think, though, my experience has been developing, it could be a one or two page, very, very vague handout I'm kind of smiling as I'm describing this handout, very vague handout 
um, that gives an overview of what each document is and what each document does. And that brings a lot of comfort to people. And I feel way more comfortable with someone sharing a vague memo than I do a copy of his or her trust. Um, I, I think that as soon as actual legal documents start being forwarded around, um, and particularly estate plans that could be amended or revoked later, that's that's difficult. Um, my kind of memo to file, making some generalizations in that as a document that clients could decide to share, I feel a little bit better about that. What I will say, Robert, is that when people say, Elizabeth, can we have a family meeting? I say, sure, but I, I, in those contexts, Robert, I do do often a separate fee agreement. And because the scope of my work to do a family meeting is very different than the scope of my work to draft somebody's estate plan. Um, and when we have an engagement letter, we address what it looks like to prepare somebody's estate plan. The scope of our work is really intimate. It's, it's narrow. It's based on the documents we're preparing and what we're doing in that context. When we bring that out into a family meeting context, all of a sudden the question of what information can be shared and what the scope of work is really changes. So people should know, you know if you want to have a family meeting, if you at some point want us to be helping facilitate something along the lines of a debriefing that will provide some information, whatever information you decide you want to share, that is something that we may decide to create a separate file for just so we have really clear lines about what the scope of our work is. You know, on the other hand, again, another classic lawyer observation, everything we say is true. On the other hand, uh, we need to also say that, that even if you don't decide to share documents or we don't have a family meeting where the, the roles of the various players are outlined, it actually is helpful if you make sure that the person who needs to know that they're in charge on the event of your in the event of your death or incapacity, knows that they're the one who needs to break into the house and and uh, and find the documents and start handling things. It's important that you give that person a heads up that they're that they're uh, they're they're on deck. And that sounds like it runs counter to what you said, Elizabeth, about hard it, how hard it is to change. And that's the balancing act you have to do. Uh, you need to make sure that your daughter, if she's the one who's named. She knows she's going to have to step up and act, but you need to tell her that in a way that uh, won't be too shocking if you decide to make it your son later. Um, It's always a challenge to deal with families. Uh, That might be a generalized statement that we could just take to the bank. What do you think? (laughs) I agree, Robert. And if all else fails, what I tell people is, you know, take my business card, put it somewhere where in an emergency your kids can find it and have someone call me. Depending, Robert, on the contact that our office may receive once a client has died, we may or may not be able to release copies of documents to people. But we certainly would welcome a call from anybody to give us an update um, on someone's condition if if that person is a client of ours. We want to know what's going on in their lives. And even at the end of someone's life, we have calls that we'll get. Um, There's not anything that we can do at that point as far as updating an estate plan, but it's still good to know the status of what's going on for the family. Uh, I guess maybe since you've raised this question in the context of the family meeting, even though it's not about family meetings, we could maybe end with the observation that if we get a call from your son saying that you've died 
and the, your daughter is the one who's named as successor trustee and personal representative. Elizabeth, what are we going to say to the son when he calls? I'm going to tell the son, I need to look at my file. If there's anybody else who'd like to call my office, like your sister, she's welcome to do that. <laughs> and how to say that in as diplomatic and kind a way as possible. That is the challenge. Well, you've been listening to me, Robert Fleming, and my partner, Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman. We are two of the partners at Fleming and Curdy PLC, a Tucson, Arizona elder law firm. And, uh, and you're listening to our weekly podcast, Elder Law Issues. We hope you will stay tuned for our next podcast as well. Thanks. <laughs>